0: How many people here know who Bill Walsh is? Bill Walsh. No? No, it's not basketball. TJ, I saw your, your mouth move. Um, if it was basketball, I'd know him very well. I actually don't didn't know him at all until this week, so don't don't feel bad. He is an NFL coach, a head coach, one of the best, I would say, or at least I read on Wikipedia, <laughs> one of the best in, in NFL history. Um, he actually coached the San Francisco 49ers. Um, And just to give you a little bit of what he did, his overall record with that team is 102 wins, 63 losses, and one tie. So he's won a lot more than he lost. He won 10 of his 14 postseasons, so um, that is like playoff games. He's won six division titles, three NFC championship titles, three Super Bowls, and he was named Coach of the Year in 1981-1984. And in 1993, he was elected in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And not only was he great because of the teams he coached and how he coached, but he was great because he developed other coaches. So if you don't know who Bill Walsh is, hopefully that was enough for you to, to realize that this guy was the somebody in the NFL. Um, I don't know NFL very well. It's the sport down south, right? And I, I'm a basketball guy. But it's interesting. This week um, I was just driving home. I believe I was driving home from work, and I listen to sports radio every so often, and they were interviewing the, um, the general manager of the Blue Jays. For those of you who don't know about the Blue Jays, they were supposed to be amazing this year. Supposed to be. Um, and much to, you see Amanda shaking her head and Thomas, they're big fans, much to their despair. <laughs> they still are good, depending on who you ask, but their record doesn't show it. Now in this interview to Alex Anthopoulos, which is the guy who is the general manager, he... He actually, they quoted this book, because Alex Anthopoulos um, put Bill Walsh's book as one of his top books that he reads, or that he's read, and the book is actually called The Score Takes Care of Itself, My Philosophy of Leadership. This book was written two years after Bill Walsh has passed away, so he was half writing it, and then when he passed away, two, two people ended up finishing the book, and it's a book basically of how he developed his coaches, and... Like it, like it says in the title, the, his philosophy of leadership. Now, why am I telling you this? Because obviously I'm not preaching on sports. Um, I'm preaching on the Holy Bible. Well, his, um, the, the quote really struck me. And as I was driving home, I'm like, I've got to remember the name of this book. I've got to Google it. Thankfully enough, it was on Google, and I could read the prologue of the book right there. And so I copied it right down. He says this. I would never write anything that suggests that the path to success is a continuum of positive even euphoric experiences. That if you do all the right things, everything will work out. Frequently, it doesn't. Often you crash and burn. This is part and parcel of pursuing and achieving very ambitious goals. It is also one of profound lessons I have learned during my career. Namely, that even when you have an organization brimming with talent, victory is not always under your control. Rather, it's like Quicksilver, fleeting and elusive not something you can summon at will, even under the best circumstances. Almost always, your road to victory goes through a place called failure. It's interesting, and and it struck me because of what we're talking about today. Today we're talking um, in the passage of 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, and I'm going to ask you to open to that a little bit later on. Um, But as you tried out your new creature body this week, your, your new ears, your new eyes, your new mind, how many people felt like they failed a little bit at some points? Like I mentioned last week, this new creature, it's an ongoing process. You will fail. And as Bill Walsh, and that's why it stuck out to me, because as I'm trying to do this, this quote comes out and he says, you know what? The path to success often includes failure. <clears throat> the spiritual creature isn't, isn't a separate being, like I mentioned last week. Um, from the creature of flesh, it's actually the same being. So you're the same person, but there's the transition. So I'm trying to do a little bit of a recap for those who weren't here um, last week so you can kind of catch up with the rest of us. This is why they tell they tell pastors not to do back-to-backs that lean on the old one because you're spending a lot of time backtracking. Needless to say, or anyways, I've got I've to do this so that we can get all on the same page. Creature of flesh is what you were creature, a spiritual creature, creature in Christ is what you are now. And there there are not, a lot of people are mistaken that there's two different people. No, it's the same person. It's a, I mean, sorry, it's the same being. It's a different person living inside of you. And like I mentioned last week, when you have Christ, it's not an instant change and you become perfect. It's an ongoing process. And as I'm trying to get at today, that process often includes failure. So if you did fail this week, don't feel bad. We all have. And as we're going to outline today, even Paul did. And this is where we're going to pick up our study. So if you could open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 7, or sorry, 12, 7 to 10. Just give you a little bit to uh, open that up. Pull out your phones, get all your Bible apps and everything up and running. And I'm going to read. Hopefully I'll read slow enough so people can understand. This is Paul's word to the Corinthian church. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. The place called failure that Bill Walsh Walsh talks about often regards to in our spiritual lives it's often tied to the thorn in the flesh, which is what Paul is talking about today. Now, what is the thorn in the flesh? Um, If you even do a quick Google search or if you study the Word of God, um, this term is quite mysterious, especially in regards to Paul. Paul, I think, deliberately did not give us what his thorn was so that we wouldn't sought after it or we wouldn't stay away from it. Um, It's a very... I guess, touchy sub- subject for at least the mature Christians who may or might not be extremists and want to be like Paul. And I think they deliberately, he deliberately didn't put it there so that we have kind of the, the freedom to insert our thorn in the flesh in his situation in our lives. So what is the thorn? We don't get much information about it, like I said. Um, this is my definition that I've kind of come up with through the week. It is a godsend earthly circumstance that leads us to lean on Christ as our support. I'm going to say that again. The thorn in the flesh, this is, again, my definition from my study, so don't, unless you agree, then go ahead and quote me. Um, if you disagree, let's have a chat afterwards. Not that I'm going to try to convince you, but, you know, I'm always open to, uh, <clears throat> to learning. Anyways, my definition, or at least the one that I've come up with, is a godsend earthly circumstance that leads us to lean on Christ as our support. Now, why did I say godsend? Because clearly it says in the passage that it's, the thorn in his flesh was a messenger of Satan. And a lot of people kind of are misled by that term, messenger of Satan, thinking that Satan put that thorn in his flesh. I'm going I'm to tell you that it's not. And when you go through and you have, if you feel like you know what the thorn in your flesh is, it's not from Satan. It is, a God, it is God sent. The thorn is from God. It may seem so bad that you're in such anguish that it's from Satan. But I guarantee you, that your thorn is from God. Satan is merely the vehicle of the message. Satan is merely the person that's doing it. But God is in control, and he sent that. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Job? Show of hands, maybe. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story of Job, it's probably the oldest story that we have in the Bible. Obviously, that's not the creation story. Um, it's It's hard to pinpoint where it is in the story. Um, but Job is a guy. He had a huge family, and he was, you know, he was following Christ very well, or I guess God very well. And Satan, basic Satan, God basically, I don't want to say had a deal because it sounds like I'm playing with what's going on. But it was, a, it was much deeper than that. And basically, God allowed Satan to have full reign in Job's life as long as Sa- uh, as long as Satan didn't kill him. Just keep him alive is all God said. And Job will not, don't worry, he won't curse my name, is what basically what the deal was. If you want to read up on it, it's it's a whole book in the Bible um, in the Old Testament. But so Job goes through all these trials in his life to the point that he lost his family, lost his house, lost everything he had. But yet he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away is what Job says. It's an interesting story. Now, would you say that all the things that Job went through was from Satan or from God? I would say it's from God. God could have clearly just said, "No, Satan, that's that's enough." God actually put a boundary on Satan, say, "You can't you can't kill him." Fine, I'll let you do what you want with him, but you can't kill him. I would say it's from God, and it's kind of the same concept with this thorn in our flesh. Thankfully, God hasn't given Satan so much rain in our lives. I don't I don't mean rain is in control of us, but I mean our surroundings that he puts us in that point where we're everything anything goes. But until we die, unless uh, everything goes but not our death, if that makes sense. Thankfully, but it's merely just a little thorn, a godsend earthly circumstance. We know, we know that it's from God, not because of what it is, but because of its result. Good things only come from who? Jesus said it, right? What is the result of the thorn in your flesh? It may seem like the worst thing in the world as you're going through it, but at the end of it, the result is always good. The evidence, of the, the evidence in the fact that it's from God is in the purpose of the thorn in the flesh. In Paul's case, God put that thorn in him so that he may keep from exalting himself. For a guy to get that famous across the Christian world, he's got a, God had to give him something to keep his mind level-headed. Um, it was interesting. I had a, we have a, Elaine and I have a friend who works at the Ritz Carlton, and <clears throat> I don't remember when Benny Hinn was in town, but he said recently Benny Hinn was in town and he walks into the Ritz Carlton, not stays at you know a regular hotel, the Ritz Carlton, and the room, the highest suite, three thousand dollars per night. Six bodyguards, and not a word of a lie. This guy says he he looked like a pimp, like he dressed, suit, everything, everything matching. And I'm not judging his character. I'm not saying Benny Hinn's a bad guy. I'm actually not even disputing the fact that he may or may not have spiritual powers or gift from God. I'm just saying that if there's no thorn in your flesh, you can take your popularity to a to a way extreme that you may not even look like a messenger of God. And so in Paul's case, the thorn in his flesh was to stop him from, you know, rolling up in Rolls Royces and staying at Ritz Carlton, right? It kept him in the place where he was dependent on Christ, which is the rest of my um, definition. Why did I say it's earthly? Um, it's a godsend, and it's earthly. I actually thought of each of these and sourced every word to make sure that I can um, embody what exactly what I'm trying to say. I say earthly because it's not a spiritual battle. The circumstance is not a spiritual circumstance. A thorn in your flesh is something that's of this world, whether it's, you know, A family member, whether it's an addiction, whether it's somebody that always nags you at work, it's something of this world. It's not a spiritual thing. And that is why it's a messenger of Satan, um, because Satan only has reign in this world. This thorn in the flesh is not going to stop you from being saved. It's not going to take away your salvation. This thorn in the flesh is not going to stop you, maybe for a moment, from worshiping God, but not in eternity. Do you understand what I mean? The thorn in the flesh is a physical situation, an earthly situation. Like I said, whether it's someone at work, whether it's because you don't have no work, whether it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, your wife, your ex-wife, ex-husband, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, but it's something earthly, something in this world. And after all, it says it's a thorn in the flesh, right? And as I mentioned last week, we are no, we are creatures of flesh, but when we're in Christ, we're creatures of the Spirit. And the thorn is not in the spirit, it's in the flesh. So hopefully I've explained the thorn in the flesh a little bit, that you kind of understand where I'm trying to go with the thorn in the flesh or what it means. Now that I've explained it, um, I guess answer in your mind if you feel like um, you can, how many people would, would say they know exactly what that thorn is? It'd probably be most veteran Christians who've been a Christian for a while, trying to study um, God's word and follow Christ for years. And you, you might be at that point. You may have not associated it with this passage, but you know that thing that keeps you grounded and saying, no matter how well your ministry goes, or no matter how many people you've led to Christ, or how many churches you've saved, I don't know, you're at the point where I'm still human. It's only in Christ that I can do this. How many people would know what that is? And if you do know, you're, you're ahead of the game. Now that I explained what the thorn is, the most important part of this is not what it is, but our response to the thorn. This is what I'm going to spend, spend the rest of our time in. That was a really long intro. But hopefully the rest of the message is so clear that I don't need to take too much time. To kind of look at our response, I want to look at Paul's response. So when the thorn came, it says in verse 8, concerning the Lord, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it may leave me. Paul's response is, God, take this thorn away. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I can't get through it. Paul's response was expected. And if you respond that way, perfectly fine. God's response, on the other hand, is unexpected. Do you think God loves Paul? Loved? Well, loves because he still exists, I guess. For sure. For those of you who have children, if if your child that you love is going through something, you'll do everything you can to stop it, correct? That's the expected response. Especially if they're asking, please take it away from me. In this case, God's response wasn't what we expected. We didn't, you know, you could expect God to say, "Okay, fine, Paul, you've done so much for me, right? You've saved so many people, you've grown my church. Okay, fine, I'll, I'll take this away from you." No, it's not the case. God's response was actually unexpected, and this is what He says: "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Three times Paul asks. Three times, I'm assuming, if not exact word for word, the same answer. No, Paul, I'm sorry, I can't take that away from your life. So it's okay if your response to this thorn, or to whatever it is that's tormenting you in your life, is, please take it away from me. That is fine. But if God's response to you is, my grace is sufficient for you, power is perfected in weakness, I can't, unfortunately, I can't take that away from your life. The problem comes is if we don't accept that response. Like I said, the most important part of this message is our response to the thorn in our flesh. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Now I mentioned what the thorn is. I mentioned that the fact, or the reason why we know it's from God, is because of the purpose of the thorn. And as I've studied this, and again, coming from, the message i had last week to me and from what i see the purpose of the thorn is not only to keep us grounded but also to help us grow in christ to put us in that position like what we were mentioning last week where we are continually in christ and not you know i'm good enough not i've i've run ministry for 7 years and i'm okay not i've been a missionary not i'm a pastor not i grew up in the church that's not the response. The response is, "No, I need Christ. That's a good response that will lead to a good result in conclusion. It's from God. The thorn causes us to remember what we what we that we need to be in Christ puts us in a place where, as God said to Paul, "My grace is sufficient sufficient for you puts us in a place where we say God." Your grace has to be sufficient for me. I can't do anything else. If you can't take this thorn away from me, for sure I can't. So I have to lean in your grace. It leads to, it leads to stronger faith, better contentment, more, more of these characteristics that we talked about in our new creature last week. Now, your grace being sufficient sounds like a weak response. Sounds like you're giving up and saying, "Fine, I give up on my on the weakness. I don't I can't do it." You know, I've lost. Basically, it sounds like you're accepting defeat. And it actually is exactly what it sounds like. It is a weak response. It is because when you're depending on something, you are weak. Think of the things that depend on stuff. A child with their parents. A creature or an animal dependent on the keeper. Or being dependent on medicine as you grow older and your body isn't as great as it used to be. All these things, you are weak. It sounds weak and it sounds like you're accepting defeat because you practically are. You in your body in your flesh are accepting defeat. But divine power finds its full scope and strength in human weakness. I'm going to say that again. Divine power, power from God, finds its full scope and strength only in human weakness. If you're trying, God's power is not going to come. It is a weak response. It sounds like a weak response because it is. You're accepting defeat to the situation, saying, God, take over. divine power finds its full scope and strength only in human weakness. It sounds like a bad response to the situation, but when your father is God, when you're the sheep and your shepherd is Christ, when your medicine is grace for the sickness of sin, I'll take that weak response over any try, anything I'm going to try. Because there's no way I'm going to save myself There's no way I'm going to keep myself from trouble like a shepherd would his sheep. And there is no way that I can lean on my own power like I can on the power of God. Why settle for human strength, human will, and human conditions? Why? You've been saved by grace. You have the power of God in you. Why settle for human things and earthly things? The thorn in the flesh is going to remind you that you are human. But your response doesn't have to be an earthly response. Your response can be your grace. My Lord Jesus is sufficient for me. It could be a divine response. And it could be divine power flowing through you that will defeat the situation. Like it says in John 3.30, John the Baptist says... Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. That is exactly our response in this situation. When I say that your grace is sufficient, it's not just I'm giving up and this thing is going to take over my life and I'm going to spiral down into a life of sin and darkness. No, you're saying I'm giving up not to that thing, but I'm giving myself up to Christ who has the power to save me. You must increase, God, not the problem, and I will decrease. We can't stop at your grace is sufficient. We must continue on to the passage. Your grace is sufficient. Why? Because power is perfected in weakness. doesn't say power helps weakness. It's not merely that weakness is a prerequisite for power. They're both existing at the same time. It's not like I'm going to be weak, therefore I can be strong. No, it's I am weak and the power of God as I'm being weak is strengthening me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you understand that? A lot of people can read this and think, okay, so in this situation I've lost, I'm going to be weak, and then Christ is somehow in the future going to save me from this. No. In this situation, I am weak, I can't do anything, and as I'm surrendering to Christ, his power overcomes the situation. It's again like last week, I didn't you know, your new creature is not like this. The response may not be like this. You may have to go through a couple of days, might be a month, might be years. But the power of Christ is in you and will save you. You cannot stop it, your grace is sufficient. Power is perfected in weakness. So naturally, our response should be what Paul's response is therefore then I will boast in my weakness. I will be happy at the fact that I'm weak, so that Christ's power will be in me. That's what it should be. How many people, when they're in a situation like that, have that response? Trust me, um, my life verse is actually in the first book of James. Consider it pure pure joy, my brethren, when you you encounter trials of various kinds. For the testing of your your faith produces endurance, and endurance must have its perfect results, so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Paul is soft. He's saying, "Be content." What James says in his book, consider it pure joy. We're Joy City Church, right? Man, I've been trying for years. I was in Bible college, and this, you know God just put this verse in my heart and saying, "James, this is what you're going to live by. No matter what comes your way, I don't want you to be content. I want you to have joy. And it's been a struggle, right? There's situations in my life through through that time. um, For those of you who know Elaine and I's relationship, it's been up and down. For those of you who know the situation in the church, it's been up and down. My life hasn't been great, but I had to consider it pure joy. Our response should be that, but it takes a lot of work to get there. Like I said last week, try out your new body. This week, when you go from here, when, you, when you're driving down the street and you know, you're just a guy and maybe you're thorn in the flesh, is people cutting you off. Try to respond with contentment, if not pure joy. It says, boast in the weakness, for the power of Christ may dwell in your weakness. It's not just saying, I'm okay with being weak. It's saying, no, actually, I like the fact that I'm weak. And I'm going to tell the world that I am weak. I can't do anything without Christ. Try that. It's hard. Especially when you're talking to non-Christians. Try it. It's a lot easier when you're a pastor and when you're in church to tell other Christians, you know what? So to me, I honestly don't have that, that grade of experience with this because almost everywhere I go, it's with Christians. Not all the time, but most of the time. But try it. Be content in my weakness because the power of Christ is living in me. Try to explain that to somebody. You can just download the sermon from from the website and then play that for them, right? It's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to trust in God's plan, especially when you can't see the plan. It's very easy to follow a path when you can see it. But once it's dark and you can't see where the path is going, it's difficult. The path might be well lit, but your eyes are blindfolded. And you have to, someone guide you. Maybe it's a voice saying, turn this way, go that way. It's very difficult. It would be nice to play a game. We used to do it in camp where you put something in the corner of the room and you put everyone in teams, in pairs actually would work best. And one person is blindfolded starting on one side of the room. The other person is on the side yelling at the person saying, Eleanor, turn right, walk straight, hurry up. Somebody's coming, catching up and you're trying to win the race. It would be nice if we could play that game here because you can actually feel someone guiding you and feel how difficult it is when you don't know where you're going. Even though how clear the instructions are, you still don't know because you can't see. It's very, very difficult. But the result in this is stronger faith, for the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's very interesting that at the end of this, Paul says, For when I am weak, he is strong. Okay, I guess not everyone's reading their Bible. It actually doesn't say, For him, when I am weak, he is strong. It says, For when I am weak, I am strong. It's misquoted because a lot of the time, and honestly, when I was growing up in um, youth group, this is what we said, right? For when I am weak, he is strong. no. What Paul actually says is, for when I am weak, I am strong. Because Christ is where? In me. It's interesting, right? So how, no matter how difficult the circumstance is, you can boast in your weakness. Because it's not only Christ that's powerful, but you're powerful because he is in you. Like I mentioned earlier, weakness and power coexist in your life. When you are weak, you are strong. So do you believe his great your grace his grace is sufficient for you? I'm going to close with the same quote, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. I would never write anything that suggests that the path to spiritual success is a continuum of positive, even euphoric experiences. That if you do all the right things, if you are righteous, everything will work out. Frequently, it doesn't. Often you crash and burn. This is part and parcel of pursuing and achieving very, very ambitious goals. A relationship with Jesus Christ. It is also one of the profound lessons that I have learned as I grow in Christ. Namely, that even when you have a life brimming with the right things, brimming with righteousness, a church brimming with Christians, friends with good guidance, victory, joy, satisfaction, contentment is not always around the corner and it's not always under your control. Rather, it's like quicksilver, fleeting and elusive, not something you can summon at will. Under the best circumstances, almost always your road to victory victory goes through a place called failure. Almost always your road to victory goes through a place, goes through the thorn in your flesh.